0: and able can we just raise our hands to God it's just a sign of surrender to him just like, it's like God I'm not fighting you anymore <laughs> I'm not trying to resist what you're doing in my life anymore but God we know that faith is freedom when we know that the God that we're surrendering to is the almighty God of the universe who loves us And so, Lord, we just lay ourselves down before you and say, whatever it is that you want to speak to us, whatever it is you want to do in our lives, man, God, we're open. And we can come and lay down as well our our fears and our concerns, the heavy burdens that are upon our shoulders, the things that we feel like we have to accomplish in our own strength. We can lay all that down too because we know you're the almighty God who loves us and that you have a wonderful plan for this world. You are redeeming and restoring it through the work of Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit that's at work in your church. And so, Lord, we we ask that you might work in and through us. And even when our arms get tired (laughs) and we get tired of surrendering to you, Lord, may we hold each other's arms up and continue to, to grow together with you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. 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 You, you guys may have a seat. I don't know if you're even able. Oh, guys, 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 God is real. He is real. How could, how could we not feel just the Holy Spirit moving in this place in that moment? Because it's amazing when we do turn our attention and our energy to him and we begin to praise him and take the eyes off of ourselves, all of a sudden those burdens that we get so worried about begin to lift. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, I I can trust him. (laughs) Wow. And it's liberating. So even what was beautiful, though, is um, I did not all I gave Shelby today was the passage we'll be reading. I did not tell her what we'd be unpacking together. And it's amazing how those songs fit just beautifully with what I feel like God wants to say today. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, but, we, but we're going we're gonna to dive back in for the second week into that New Testament book called Ephesians. And, man, oh, man, is this book just beautiful. Um, one, there's one Scottish-American theologian that describes Ephesians as truth that sings. John McKay is his name, truth that sings. And I, I want us to dig into that together. And one thing I've known about the learning process is that the first stage of learning is always awareness. I feel like awareness of the Bible happens on Sunday morning. But if you really want to grow and learn, it means that we are soaking in it throughout the week, too. That we're taking time to reflect on it and ask, like, what does that mean for it to really sink into my life? And so I want to encourage us as a church this summer. A lot of us are on vacation. We have a little more time opening up. Will you dig into Ephesians on your own as we talk about it on Sunday morning? I want to encourage us to do that. And in order to try to help you, we've recommended several different resources for us as a church. One of those is Tony Merida's uh, study guide on the book of Ephesians, which is there on the screen. You can get that wherever you get your books online. You can order it there. But we also, as a church, have a subscription to over 20,000 video-based Bible studies through an online platform called RightNow Media. How many of you have a Right Now Media account in here, just personally? Okay, a few of you. Well, you can all have a free RightNow Media account, if you want one. Um, it, is, it is something that, that it is free to use simply because you're part of this church. In order to sign up for that, all we need is an email address. So the best way we can do that is if you fill out the digital Connect card, and all you need to give us is your name and your email address, and then click on the Connect card, There's a special option, saying, I'm interested in access to Right Now Media. Click on that, and this week we'll make sure that you get set up you, you get sent, and it, you get your own account to Right Now Media, where we've recommended two other video-based resources, if you want to dig into Ephesians, that come with a study guide. So get access to that. Whatever way works for you. We know reading isn't everybody's thing, so maybe video-based works for you. But let's all dig into this together so we're not just becoming aware of it on Sunday, but it's actually sinking in throughout the week. Does that sound good? Sound good. All right. So as, as we dig into today, I just want to get, get us thinking, get us thinking about this, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the followers of Christ in Ephesus. But think about what his experience must have been. Because Acts 18 tells us that around 52 AD, the Apostle Paul landed on a ship on the western edge of Turkey got off the ship and entered into the city of Ephesus. And I'm trying to imagine with my eyes, like, what must he have experienced as he stepped foot into this massive city? That immediately he would have seen just the city teeming with people of all types of religions. And then right as he walks in the city, you would not be able to miss one of the largest outdoor theaters in the whole Mediterranean world that 25,000 people, which is a lot in that day, could pack into this stadium, but they weren't watching Shakespeare. They were watching men and beasts fight one another to the death for entertainment. It's one of the first things he would have seen. And then he would have taken a right and gone into the more the, the center of town. And right across from the market in Ephesus was, one, it was a large brothel, meaning commercial sex was at the center of that town. And as he took another left, he would have walked down this main thoroughfare in Ephesus, where he would have seen temples to emperors, temples to Egyptian gods, but none of them compared to the temple way out in the distance to the goddess Artemis, which was considered one of the seven wonders of the world, that temple. Seven wonders of the world. It was the crown jewel of Ephesus. It It brought in big money for that town. So here's Paul coming in by himself. He knew he had a few other Christians there, but to tell them about the truth and the grace and the love of Jesus. But my question is, how, how do you think he felt in that moment? Well, I don't know how I would feel. <laughs> at, least, at least thinking about it, it's like I mean, I would feel small. Like, who am I to make a difference in a massive city like this? Like, I, I feel inadequate. How did he not feel lonely? Yes, there were a few other Christians there, but, but only a few. Compared to the, the thousands, found hundreds of thousands there in that city. How did he not just want to f- crawl into a hole of discouragement? As you see violence as entertainment, commercial sex right in the center, and the, the cult of Artemis, man, that, that ran that town. And he's going to come in here and tell them about Jesus? I would feel a bit overwhelmed, would you? (laughs) Yeah. And the reason why I know that is because, honestly, sometimes I feel that exact way living here north of Boston as a Christian. (laughs) Right? Like, Like, we walk around, we drive around this area. Like, once thriving churches are now restaurants or museums or condos. Or they just decided Jesus isn't relevant anymore. We we talk to people about, we want to talk to people about Jesus, but do they even feel the need for Jesus because they're so busy or they're so entertained to death or they're just numbed? As a pastor, I hear stories of trauma and abuse in families across this area regularly. And while our area may not worship the emperor, so to speak, or Artemis, man, our society worships at the altars of celebrities human intellect, politics, consumerism, and money. And God wants us as his people to make an impact for Christ here amidst so many challenges to his love, to his grace, to his truth. So whether we're following Jesus in Ephesus or Boston, the challenges are real. And this is why Paul prays what he does in Ephesians 1:15 to 23. And he prayed that instead of viewing ourselves and our families and our world through the lens of inadequacy, discouragement, or fear, he prayed that we would have spiritual eyes, the lens of faith, to see as God sees. But how can we do that? Well, let's read Ephesians 1:15 to 23 together. We're on page 947 of the Blue Bibles in front of you. And my main prayer, my main point today, Is that may God's spirit give us eyes of faith to see ourselves and our world as he does. Can anybody say amen to that? All right. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Paul says, for this reason. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you Way God, I pray that you take your word and you you illuminate the eyes of our hearts so that we might see clearly, see ourselves, see our families, see our church, see our society clearly, that you give us the eyes of faith, though, that we learn to see these things through the lens of what you can do in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, So given what we know about Ephesus, it's safe to say that it was diametrically opposed to the values, the morals, the lifestyle of Jesus. So how could Paul so confidently step into a city like that to share Jesus? Well, Paul says in his other letters, he's like, that he was not a glamorous speaker. So that's not really how he's going to do it, right? He also, he didn't have political clout or power or the ability to tell people what to do and change things that way. So to the natural eye, Paul, to the Ephesians, to share Jesus sounded like sure failure. So why did he go? Well, he must have been looking at it a completely different way than we realize. And so many people say it's too hard to share Jesus in Boston. So how can we learn to see with the eyes that he did? let's just start by here. That faith in Christ is learning to see reality through the lens of what God has done in Jesus. Faith in Christ is learning to see reality through the lens of what God has done in Jesus. So the the book of Acts, chapters 18 and 19, tell us that Paul briefly went to Ephesus during his second missionary journey, but then at the start of his third, he went back. And stayed there for much longer that time. And he shared the message of Jesus. The Ephesians heard and some believed. And now, writing under house arrest in Rome sometime later, he thanks God because them hearing the gospel resulted in genuine faith in Jesus. And thus grew self-giving love among the Christians for one another, which is the true bedrock of any strong church. But faith begins by hearing the truth of what God has done in Jesus, reflecting on it as his Spirit helps us understand, and then believing it. Well, what has God done? If that's where faith begins, what has God done? Well, we didn't know who our Creator, who our God was, or how to find him. You know that God knew your name and he chose you. That when you didn't know who you were, our identity, our value. God's desire, we learned in the beginning part of Ephesians, was to adopt us as his own children forever. And when we couldn't cleanse our own souls from the stain of selfishness in us or atone for our guilt, God sent his son Jesus into our world, and he died on the cross bearing our punishment. And after paying the penalty for our sin with his life, Jesus rose again. And this isn't wishful thinking, guys. This is a moment in human history. This actually happened. And all of it, 100%, was motivated by the grace and love of God. And when you hear this and receive it to be true, which is faith, he says, we belong to God forever and we're given his spirit within us. And this reality, it frames up our entire lives when we begin to believe it. You know, as human beings, I think everything we, we wonder and all the questions we're having, they all come back to really three things. Who am I? What's my identity? What's my value? That's one. Two, where do I belong? Who loves me? Three, what's my purpose in this world? And all of these things find their ultimate answer in what God has done for us in Jesus. And that by faith, we know we are His, we belong to His family, and we live for His purposes. But if we're going to live faithfully with Christ in a conflicting culture, we need that lens of faith. A dark city like Ephesus can be pretty distracting. And after a while, truth can start to grow dim. So this is why Paul prayed. He said, God, would you give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation? Or to say the same thing metaphorically, he asked that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Because when our culture is dark and the challenges are real, we're reminded how inadequate we are without Jesus. And how there's not a whole lot of people like us around us and how we want to change things, but frankly, we're powerless to do so. And when those realities are left unchecked and we're not going to God with those, we start viewing our world through the lens of fear. Or when the world has hurt us or we're left traumatized, we start viewing the world through the lens of bitterness. Or when we've been working real hard and we're trying to bring about change, but nothing's happening and we're tired, we start viewing the world through the lens of discouragement. Or defeat. And this is why Paul prayed. He says, May God give you spiritual glasses of faith, gospel goggles, <laughs> so that you may see yourself, one another, and your city with God's eyes. And when we start to see reality through the lens of faith, then we see it as it's meant to be seen this past week i got caught on youtube for about an hour somebody's like i don't know what that's like thank <laughs> yeah, you do. but i was but i was caught watching these videos of these men and women who were born colorblind and how uh, there's this company that has developed these glasses that help people who are born colorblind able to see color full color for the first time anybody seen videos like this before yeah, like I'm watching video after video, and just like, like it, you can go watch them on your own. I can't play them in here for copyright reasons, right? So you can go watch them on your own later, but I, like, they're quite emotional. Just, just be prepared for that. But there was one particular video, I'll put the picture up here, of a principal who was born colorblind. And he got a pair of these glasses, and he found out there was a kid in his school who was also colorblind, and he came in, and, and he says, hey, why don't you try these on? And the kid put on these these glasses, and he tried to play it cool for like two seconds because his friends were around. But immediately he started breaking down in tears because all of a sudden, the grays became vibrant purples. The rust colors became radiant reds. And it, it was like he was seeing the world for the first time. And there was one video of a guy... Who even says, he says, like, he's like, it's like, he says, it's like I'm seeing the world as it's meant to be seen. And this is the affect that the lens of the gospel has when we begin to see the world through it. That the grays of fear become vibrant with faith, and the rust colors of discouragement become radiant with hope. And this is where Paul goes next. Because he says, the reason why I'm praying for you, for spiritual gospel goggles, (laughs) glasses of faith, he says, the reason why I'm praying this for you, he says, is really three things. He says, how does the gospel change how we see the reality around us? Well, because of what God has done in Christ, one, we can expect him to be faithful, two, finish what he started, and three, do it all according to his incomparable So, I mean, look at this passage, because there in verse 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that, right? So, in order that, why, Paul? Well, let me tell you. First, he says, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So, when you first believed by faith, that was God initially calling your name. He called you. As we saw last week in the first part of this chapter, that God chose you, but he chose you with a hope and an expectation. Toward what end? He says that we would become holy and blameless, which is like Jesus. This means when God calls us into his family, he's also committed to to raising and maturing us to become like him. And this is the expectation of his call that our Father is faithful to mature us. Because after all, like Paul told the Philippians, it is He who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. But you know, sometimes, at least going about life, we don't always see what God is doing. All we really see are all the things wrong with us. We see our inadequacies, we see our sin, we see our guilt, we see all the things that are not right in us. But when all we can see are our sins and failures, when we put on the glasses of faith, we can expect our Father to be faithful to mature us even as he works through us. There have been so many weeks, guys, that I have been preparing to get up here. And I just wanted to say, God, are you sure you have the right guy? Because the very things that I preach, oftentimes, God's first, like, pointing out in me. And I'm like, well, if I don't have this right, what right do I have to say this to anybody else? And sometimes all I can see are all the areas that I fall short. But when we put on the glasses of faith, that allows us to see the beauty, the brilliance, the radiance of his grace for us. And that he's the faithful father who is working within us. And all we have to do is say yes. That he will finish his work in and through us. And that even in our shortcomings, we can expect him to be faithful. So that's number one. But second, Paul prays God's spirit would open our eyes to also see the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What does that mean? Well, inheritance is a family word we're calling to His family. And inheritance is not something we earn, right? It is a gift of the Father that awaits us in the end. So not only is God faithful to grow us here in this life, but one day He will finish what He started. Because even in this letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that Christ will present to Himself one day. A radiant church. Do you see the colors in that? A radiant church without stain or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. But you know, sometimes in this world, all we can see are just is just what's not right. We see the injustice, we see the pain, we see that all that, that should be different. And sometimes we even look at the church in America and we say, come on, church, wake up. Why can't we get this together? We would change the culture if we could. But when all we see is what's not right, we can remember God will finish what he has started in all of us together. And the lens of faith allows us to see the glory, the brilliance, the radiance of what is to come and who we will be. And it also reminds us that we're not alone in this world, but that we are a part of a family of God, as imperfect as it might be, right? But we're part of this work together. And then just as he is faithful to work in us, he is faithful to finish his work in us. I get an amen, everybody? That's, that's a moment. So Paul prays for the hope that we would see the hope of God's call, the glory of our inheritance together. And third, he says, I want you to see the incomparably great power for us who believe. I'm sure when Paul walked into Ephesus, he saw the dark shadow of death, evil, sin looming over that city. And while those forces may be stronger than him as a man, they are not stronger than his father. And that's why he could step into that city with confidence. And I wish I could spend a whole lot of time on this point, guys. I wish I could. I don't have time. So this is why we could study it on our own, right? But shameless plug. But what kind of power is this, Paul? He says, well, let me tell you. He says, this is the same power that that rose Christ from the dead that even in the most hopeless of situations, we have a resurrection God. We have a Father of glorious new life, living in and working through us, everybody. And he says, oh, this is also the same power that seated Christ above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked now and forever. The powers of this world may compete against God's way, but really, Jesus has no competition. Nations, leaders, celebrities come and go, but he is forever. And not only is his the same power that's over the universe, but he's the same power over the church, his people. And we are the church of Jesus. Right? We're a local expression of that church that is across this world. And we're called to be his body. Meaning that we are, as the way that we treat each other, the way we interact with this world, it is meant to be a visual demonstration of who our God is as he fills us in every way. And yes, the church doesn't always look like Jesus. And yes, sometimes fear, bitterness, or desire for power clouds our ability to see Christ and therefore reveal Christ to this world. And I am part of the church and that is certainly true of me. But when we fall short, when we mess up, when we don't get it right, man, as a church, we become a confessing church. We just come and say, Jesus, I'm putting on my gospel goggles, and I see your grace again. I'm confessing that to you. Will you fill me again? Fill me again. And give me your eyes to see as you do. That when all we can see are the dark powers around us, there is only one incomparable power over us. And we, these are the things we begin to see as we look through the eyes of faith. And so as we learn to see the hope, the glory, and the power of God through the eyes of faith, what then? Then we can believe him to open others' eyes too. So in the beginning, I asked us to imagine how Paul might have felt walking into a city as dark and overwhelming as Ephesus. But clearly, he saw things quite differently (laughs) than I often do. That instead of looking at that city and saying, God, you got the wrong guy, or God, this city is impossible to change, when Paul walked into that city, he saw gospel opportunity. Through the eyes of faith, he was able to see the colors of the kingdom of God, hope, glory, and power. And as he stepped in, he said, all right, what is it that God has given me? Gifts, what opportunities has He already given me? And He knew He was a teacher. So He went to the synagogues and He began to tell people about Jesus. And God started opening people's eyes and they began to believe. Now, anytime we step out in faith, we always encounter opposition, right? Whether it's internal or external, there's always some sort of rub trying to get us to stop and to go back, step back into fear. But was beautiful is that if you read Acts 19, Paul didn't keep his eyes focused on the opposition. He kept his eyes focused on where the fruit was happening. And that's where he spent his time. And then as he looked out at the city, this city was full of superstition, sorcery. But Paul saw that. He's like, ah, oh, they must be open to the divine power of God. So instead of despairing over the brokenness or the twistedness of the city, he's like, I'm going to start praying over people. And he saw people get healed, cast out evil spirits and he saw the sick through the lens of hope and faith and the power of God. And in Ephesus revival even broke out among those who practiced sorcery. And it says they began to burn their scrolls together. And all those scrolls equal today probably 15 million dollars worth of scrolls. Like it was massive repentance and turning to Jesus. Eventually, in a place like Ephesus, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Eyes were opened to faith in Jesus. And as I've been thinking about all this, man, this has challenged me in big ways, challenged me in big ways. Say, God, like, how can I learn to see those around me through the eyes of faith, too? And I've actually been trying to do some of this. Like, I've I got so much to learn, guys, so please. But I've been trying to do some of this. And, and I, as I go about some of my errands, I say, all right, God, <laughs> like, how do you want me to see this situation right now? Even stepping into a store. There's one particular store that I've stepped into, and I said, all right, God, show me what you want me to see. And one thing that I like to do is I like to get to know people. I, th- I think people are fascinating, so I ask questions. Right? Let's just start with where we are, what, what we like to do. And I started, started asking questions. And, man, I talked to this one cashier not too long ago who was going through tremendous pain in her family. And then I went and I wrote her name down in a journal. And I said, you know what, and then I started committing to pray for her. And now every time I go into that particular store, I check in, say, how you doing? What, what, you know, and eventually just praying that God will open up opportunities to have spiritual conversations, right, in the midst of that situation. Right? Like, is I, I, normally, I step into those situations and I see everything through the lens of my insecurity or through my task list. Like, that, that's all I see or the grays of my task list, right? But all of a sudden, when we start to put on the lens of faith, we say, oh, maybe there's some vibrant ways that the Spirit of God wants to work here. And I've been asking God, help me see my family, my wife, through your eyes of faith. Because sometimes in our families, especially we've got young, busy families like mine, like we can just get so focused on our routine and what we've got to do, that we're not even paying attention to what God's doing. So it's like, all right, Whew. God, help me to see what you're doing right now and how I can invest hope and faith into those that I live with. And as I look right now at our society, I mean, this was a big decision this past week when Roe v. Wade was overturned. I said, all right, God, I can see this through a political lens or I can see this through a gospel lens. How do you want me to see it? And as I've been praying and asking God, he says, all right, now's an opportunity for the church to step up and for for mothers who are having kids, for babies who are born to be the church around them, to build relationships, to support them, to love them, right? This is a gospel opportunity. And I've asked God to help me see you all through the lens of faith. And what a vibrant, radiant bunch you are, right? Because I, like, I see the ways that so many of you are leaning into Jesus. You're, you're taking like steps of faith that are scary, but in order to share Jesus with somebody. I see you generously serving and giving to the poor and needy among you. Like, I see God's faithfulness through you guys, and I thank Him for it. And like Paul, may God's Spirit give us his eyes of faith to see ourselves and our world as he does. So with all of that, how might the world around you look different with the lens of faith? As we start to to really trust that the hope, the glory, and the power of God are at work, how would that change the way we see ourselves, our families, our church, our society? And if you realize, like I have this past week, how often we see through the lens of fear or discouragement or inadequacy, man, just confess that to God. Lay it down before him and say, God, give me your eyes of faith instead, that the eyes of my heart might be enlightened to the beauty of his kingdom all around us. So may God's spirit give us eyes of faith to see ourselves and our world as he does. If you are able, stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that when we did not know who we were, when we did not know if, if we were truly loved, when we did not know where we belong, when we did not know our purpose, that you answered all of those questions in Christ. When you died for us, you rose again, and you sealed us with your spirit and gave us an inheritance that we will see fully at the end of time. And so now, Father, may we learn to see through the eyes of faith, and I pray that you would encourage your people, and that we might see the world as it's meant to be seen, with all the colors of your hope, of your glory, and of your power, and if there's any ways that we have been seeing, God, we confess those to you. I lay down before you, like, I, I confess, Lord, I have seen so many things through the eyes of fear or insecurity. But, Lord, I need you to be faithful to teach me how to see through the eyes of faith. And, Lord, how much more exciting the world becomes when we begin to see how you're working. Infuse faith within us. Grow. May faith arise in us, your church, your people, as you lead us and fill us in every way, Jesus. In your holy name we pray and everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's sing.